We've been looking um, through the letter of James over the last uh, few weeks in January and exploring what James says about what it means to be a mature person, to be someone who is whole and complete, not lacking in anything. And Andrew and Jerome over the last couple of weeks have talked about some of the main themes um, in James, some of the main aspects of this. Um, things like humble wisdom in our relationships. Um, things like how trials and temptations work in forming us in character and our attitudes around wealth and poverty. And today as we come to this passage in chapter 4... James continues exploring the central place of humility and what that looks like on the ground in our relationships with the world and with wealth. And he's further highlighting the folly of worldly wisdom that is essentially characterised by arrogance, selfish ambition and bitter envy, as we heard a little bit about last week. Now, this might not sound all that engaging, um, but what if in this passage we can find the very meaning of life itself, the very essence of contentment and fulfilment that we might be longing for in our own lives. Because James asks us in verse 14 of this chapter, what is your life? Now, we've probably had about two years of, I hope, being confronted with this question. (laughs) And so what have you learnt about life from this? Is life what you achieve? Is life who you love or who loves you? Is it what you earn? Is it what you hope for or dream about or desire? Or perhaps you might think about life... um, by using metaphors, uh, like what Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates, we never know what we're going to get. Or life is a bucket and life is about filling our lives with things that matter to us. Or life is a roller coaster. there'll be highs and lows, but the lows enable us to really appreciate the highs. There are loads more metaphors like this out there and maybe you have a favourite Uh, But your answer to James's question will determine the basis of your decisions each day. It will determine what drives and motivates you and what truly delights your heart. And ultimately, what the glory of your life is. Perhaps at least one thing we've realised through the past couple of years is the fragility of our lives and our inability to control very much of it at all. And this is exactly what James lands on, isn't it, as we've just heard. His answer to the question, what is your life, is this. You are a mist. A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And this word reminds me of the word um, havel that the writer of Ecclesiastes uses to describe life. It's simply vapour. Or the psalmist in Psalm 39 who says, Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. These words, mist, vapour, breath, make us really... Um, consider, or they kind of confront us, I suppose, with the fragility of our lives, don't they? But also the very preciousness of our lives, the value of our lives in this short moment in the eternal timeline. 
And so what James is getting at is that God wants us to have a right perspective of our lives before God. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. We should all know this lesson really well by now. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. But is James saying then that we should give up on planning uh, for the future? I don't actually think that this is all that James is getting at. Yes, we need to learn to hold our plans lightly before God. But look at his indictment in verse 16. He says, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. James is concerned about what's at the heart of people's plans. About selfish ambition, pride, arrogance. And the act of boasting about one's supposedly wonderful plans which seek to emphasise one's own wealth and success. Have you ever heard a wealthy person boast about their plans? Maybe you've heard them detailing their extravagant travel plans or their plans to build on their already really, really extensive investment portfolio. To someone listening to these sorts of boasts, especially someone who is far from wealthy, they are actually quite hurtful because the one who's boasting is, I think, deliberately stomping on the people around them and trying to assert themselves as better than other people. Remember what Jerome explained last week about pride. It's the way we seek to be above the people around us and it actually causes relational distance and damage. And James is saying, you know what? You're in effect boasting in your own arrogance, your own arrogant scheming. Now, the Greek word for boast also means glory or rejoice. So he's saying you glory in your arrogant schemes. A couple of weeks ago, during a week away, I actually had the pleasure of watching TV for half an hour, which is actually a rarity. Um, <laughs> and I came across the show, Everyone's a Critic, on the ABC, and one of the pieces of art they were featuring was this one. It's called Higher Powers by James Guppy. And as you can see, it depicts these men in suits jostling and vying for the godlike position of power at the top of the pack. And if you look a bit more closely, it's actually a violent and frightening scene set in this clouded realm which we associate as the dwelling place of God and celestial beings. And I think... Um, this is a powerful image that I think really expresses what James is getting at. Planning apart from God for wealth and power and reputation as if you were the one in control of your life and the circumstances of the world is a completely arrogant approach to life. 
And it's actually an expression of the real state of your heart that you consider yourself to be the Lord of your life. Like a God who can determine the future and without any regard or respect to the one who is the Lord of all. And all such boasting, says James, is evil. Now, I want to take just a moment to bring this point home to us a bit further because we might be tempted to think that this heart attitude is harmless, that it's a private matter that um, doesn't really affect other people. Well, this week I was reading about the release of an Oxfam report called Inequality Kills, and in it um, they detail how over the last two years of the pandemic, the wealthiest people in the world, typically men, have more than doubled their wealth, while 160 million people have been pushed into poverty. At the moment, 10 men, that's 10 individual men, hold more wealth than that of two-thirds of humanity. In Australia, it's the same trend, with the highest 20% of the wealthiest people in Australia now earning 90 times more than those at the lowest 20%. If you want to know what that looks like on the bottom line, that's an average of $3.3 million of wealth owned by individuals uh, in the top 20%, compared to the average of about $36,000 owned among the lowest 20%. And the top 10% wealthiest people in Australia own half of Australia's private wealth. To give us some perspective of the impact of this on actual lives around the world, Oxfam estimates that this sort of inequality is contributing to the deaths of 21,300 people in the world each day. That's one person dying because of poverty and inequality every four seconds. And we compare that with the global average daily death toll due to COVID at the moment at just over 7,200 people. Oxfam are beginning to use the term economic violence to describe this so that we can begin to understand the very real life and death impacts of unrestrained financial gain. These sorts of figures just break my heart. Back in verse 4 of chapter 4, James has said, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. But then James shows the way to redemption. There is a way to change. There is grace for us. He says in verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse and purify your hearts. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Submit yourself to God. Humble yourself, cleanse and purify your hearts. Repent. And the promise is that grace is there. 
God will lift you up. You know, I don't think many of us live with the understanding that God wants the very best for us, that he wants us to be raised up in the very best way, not in the way that the world thinks of it in terms of status and power and wealth, but in a way that's above all of that, that soars in the satisfaction and glory of something deeper and more profound. And the real way to that, the only way to that, is humble submission. To humbly submit our finances, our relationships, our desires, our plans to him. To give ourselves completely to him. To humble ourselves through faith and obedience, just like Jesus, who followed God in humble obedience through the suffering of the cross in order to attain and secure his glory and ours. God desires our submission and our humility. And it's by coming to God in that attitude that we are able to draw near to him and he to us. And this is the path to wholeness and maturity. So instead of boasting about our own self-indulgent plans, James says in verse 15, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This isn't an attitude that simply resigns itself to whatever will be, will be, or that's mainly concerned about God's future plans for us, as in what our career path should be, or whether we should do this job or that, or study here or there, or whatever. But that humbly finds fulfilment and delight and glory in doing and living out the will of God now. The will of God that he's already revealed to us in his word about how to live, about the ethics and values of his kingdom and his way. We do the will of God by living out his commandments, by loving and seeking him with our whole hearts, by loving others as we love ourselves through honesty, compassion, grace, kindness, generosity, and so on. By doing what is good and right. Because when we understand the will of God in this way, we suddenly realize that God's will for our lives and his will for the world are intrinsically connected. Martin Luther King Jr., who um, I'm sure most of you would know, but if you don't, was an American Baptist minister and activist who became one of the main leaders and figureheads of the American civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. And you might have already heard of this speech before, but he gave a really powerful speech the day before he was assassinated where he said some remarkable words. So I'm going to try to play this for you. Listen. Is it coming through? Not coming through. All right. I'll read it. It would have sounded better with his, his voice. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop 
and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. Just like Martin Luther King Jr. knew he had done the will of God and so was at peace with whatever happened, so too we are called to live in such a way that's confident in the good and the right that we have done. The confidence that we have lived and are living according to God's ways. If you want the will of God for your life, James says, start by doing it now. That's why in verse 17 of this chapter, James concludes this paragraph the way he does. He says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So let me ask you this now. What good do you know you ought to do? What is that that's on your heart? Maybe you need to apologise to someone for a hurt or harm you have caused, even if that was years ago. It's not too late. Maybe it is about your finances and you know that there's something that you need to do. You've got to do the right thing, even if you know it's going to cost you. Maybe it's about forgiving someone who has hurt you, even if they haven't sought your forgiveness or apologised. But making that step and letting them know that you've forgiven them getting that peace in your heart for that maybe it's about offering care for someone even if that's going to mean hard changes maybe it's about facing up to a major problem or issue in your life and getting help for it because you know that it's caused enough hurt and harm to yourself and those around you maybe like what Martin Luther King Jr., um, like him. Maybe it's about standing up with others against the status quo of injustice and inequality and discrimination. You know, I could keep going with these kinds of examples, but you know the good that you need to do, whatever that is. The time is now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't wait for your circumstances to be slightly easier, for your finances to be at that point, or for your life to feel like it's got the capacity for it. Don't wait. You are a mist. And today is all that we know that we have. So make the most of now. Make the most of every moment with people, both those that you love, but also those that you know are unloved. Make sure things are right with the people in your life. And don't waste time in unnecessary endeavours or unnecessary bickering or slander or comparison or selfish gain. Realise that power struggles are fickle and status and reputation mean nothing. Decide, do, live in the way that you know you should. Do the good that you know you should. Let God's will, God's good and life-giving way be enough for your life. Let his will be the destiny that satisfies and fulfills your life. Not the pool of wealth, power, status or success, but the pool of his pleasure in your faith and obedience. 
obedience to the simple will of God, the simple will of goodness, kindness, generosity, forgiveness, self-control, mercy and grace, of acting justly, loving mercy and walking humbly with your God. If we are to rejoice and glory in anything, let it be this. Amen. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us now. Let's just close our eyes and just open our hearts, continue opening our hearts to your spirit and what he's prompting us with right now. Father God, who holds time and space and the destiny of our lives and the world in your hands, we submit to you today. We submit every area of our lives to you today. And we ask that you would lead us in your will and your way. We want your will for our lives. Lord, help us to know the value and the preciousness of our lives, to know that every moment and every day counts and is filled with your beautiful potential and your beautiful will, your goodness, your kindness, your love, your mercy and your justice. And as we seek your will above our own, give us the strength to resist the pull of the world, God and to overcome what sometimes feels like a war within us and a battle for what is right. Help us to overcome. And as we walk in your way, help us to see the fruit and be encouraged that doing your will is impacting the world around us in amazing and wonderful ways. And may we realise more and more how completely satisfying and fulfilling it is to be doing life your way. May this be enough for us. May this be enough for us. In Jesus' name, amen.